So it's great to be together at the beginning, relatively near the beginning of the year. I'm going to be picking up with our Corinthians, 1 Corinthians series, uh, but for the grace of God. And uh, it's actually a month since uh, Tim spoke on 1 Corinthians 11. If you remember, uh, he did, I think, a superb job on that difficult chapter, which he described like liver, which he used to not like eating as a child. Liver is good for you, but it's not particularly tasty and it doesn't look very nice and all the rest of it, which I thought was quite funny. My chapter is more like a lovely roast dinner. In fact, in fact it's almost like a Christmas dinner. The trouble is there's too much on the plate. Uh, and I think we're in danger. We will have to leave some on the side of the plate. We won't cover it all. But we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12, and I'd like to read it to you. So um, you can follow it yourself or just listen. I guess it might go up. I don't know on the screen. 1 Corinthians 12, a magnificent chapter. Let's enjoy it. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different gifts but the same Spirit. There are different ministries but the same Lord. There are different activities but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another in the interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all given one Spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it's not for that reason any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honourable, we clothe these with greater honour. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the less honourable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. 
And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts. And I will show you an even better way. And he goes on into 1 Corinthians 13 because they didn't have the chapter breaks we have. But I think we've got enough to be getting on with with 1 Corinthians 12. So let's stay there. Now, let's just be very clear and think through the context of this magnificent chapter and make it immediately real to us. In its first context, as given, as originally written, inspired by the Holy Spirit, this was a letter to a local church, to a church in a Greek city that existed in the first century in Corinth. And it was a local church that we could uh, recognize or would connect with us if we read the details. And some of the details you have read as you've got through the first chapters of this book. It consisted of people who had, many of them, been living very, very messed up lives, quite deeply into various sins and very damaging lifestyles. You can read some of the details in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11. You may have looked at that in passing then. Because it is quite striking how badly embedded, if you like, in sinful lifestyles some of these people had been. But they'd all come to hear the good news about Jesus. They had heard that Jesus had died for their sins, to wash them clean. to to cleanse them. And it was magnificent news, as it is. And they had responded in faith and said, Lord, we want to be clean. We want to be fresh and new. And had found their sins forgiven through the blood of Jesus. They'd been made righteous, justified, a word we've often heard when, when we're speaking here, just as if they'd never sinned, just as if I'd never sinned. Declared righteous, justified. They'd been sanctified or set aside. That's the literal meaning of the word. Set aside for Jesus. They now belonged to Jesus. They didn't belong to the devil. They didn't belong to the world. They belonged to Jesus. They had been born again by the Holy Spirit. And that is something he touches on here, really. He says, this Holy Spirit has got hold of you and immersed you in Jesus and brought you into a new community, a new family, a new body. It's in verse 13 that we've just read. He says to them, For you were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, We were all given one spirit to drink. He said, the Holy Spirit's come into you and made you new on the inside out. And these people in Corinth, from all these messed up backgrounds, were now new creations. And they were gathering together to worship Jesus. They took bread and wine together frequently. That's referred to, we've looked at that already. They, they listened to the word of God together. They had worship times together. We'll see a bit more of detail about how those went when we get to 1 Corinthians 14. They gathered as one community to worship Jesus and to meet with each other. And actually there was a community spirit amongst them, although that was one of the things that was a problem. And this, in a sense, makes them all the more real to us. They weren't perfect. Not at all. There, were, there was a division of some degree. People saying, I prefer this preacher to that preacher. 
people with different, uh, uh, probably class and different financial resources were living separately and as a bit like cliques rather than helping each other and sharing. And there was uh, open sin, sadly, amongst them. Some people were actually into very open uh, sin, sexual sin particularly, which is, again, something you might have looked at. I think you did look at in 1 Corinthians 6. So there's all sorts of weaknesses here, but... They are a church that we can recognise. In fact, I, I hope, and I'm laughing because I hope it's true, that we're not really quite as much of a mess as they were. And I don't say that proudly because I don't think we're perfect at all. But what I want you to understand is you can uh, recognise here a real local church, an authentic group of Jesus followers who are by no means yet the complete thing, finished work. And to this group of people... The Holy Spirit says, because that's what's happening here when Paul writes, verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. That's the NIV. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And I feel to say to you in the, with the same authority this morning, that statement right now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. That's what God said through the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit to Corinth and he still says it through his word today. The context is utterly uh, similar. So you can say it with great authority. You are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. The church is an incredible thing. It is amazing. I hope in the next few minutes you will be rekindled in faith about church, but also stirred in your own uh, wonder and praise. These verses tell us that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is uniquely present in his people, the church. He uniquely expresses himself to the world around through his church. It is a profound truth. And actually, it's quite startling, so startling that I think I've got to keep pushing it for you to get it. Because this is not a mere um, metaphor, a picture. Well, that's an interesting picture. That's helpful to understand. It goes beyond that. In verse 12 that we read, there is a, quite a, a striking phrase. So also is Christ, he says, about the church, about the church he's writing to. Let me just read it for you. Verse 12. For just as the body is one as many parts, all the parts of the body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. Why do you say, John, well, why is that startling? Well, it's startling because he uses this singular, that's how Jesus is, that's Christ. And, it's, and Christ means the anointed one. So he's saying that's the anointed one, the church. And you almost have to stop and think it through. Think, well, what is this? Well, let's put it in fairly straightforward but very, uh, I hope, striking ways. When Jesus Christ came to be our saviour and redeemer, to achieve the work of redemption, to accomplish that work, he had to have a body. And that body was conceived in the Virgin Mary through the work of the Holy Spirit. We've just been thinking about that a lot, Christmas. But that is what happened. That real human being who was God and man, 
Jesus came as a baby, grew up in the ordinary way to become a mature man, then did extraordinary things and taught extraordinary things for three years. He was then crucified. He died fully and awfully in a gruesome way. He was in the grave for three days. He rose again. His body rose again. It was a physical resurrection. And he went back to the Father in heaven. The work of redemption accomplished. And he was victorious at the right hand of the Father. Now, that's part one. Part two. In order to accomplish the task that actually is in mind with the wonderful work of redemption, which is taking the good news of the gospel to all the world, every tribe and nation and tongue, to all creation, to demonstrating the love of God, bringing the power and healing and release and deliverance of the gospel. In order to do that, Jesus also needed a body. And that body is also a work of the Holy Spirit. And it consists of all those who redeemed, put their faith in Jesus, and are filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, true Christians. And those people are his body. His corporate, they are the corporate Christ. They're his body on earth today. Jesus is the head, they're the body. And it's the way that the whole work of redemption is brought with power and impact to the world. Through the church through the corporate Christ. The same anointing that was on Jesus, that's what Christ means, the anointed one, is on this body. From the head, the oil, as it were, has trickled down over the body, like that magnificent picture from the high priest in the Old Testament. Jesus' church is the anointed one on earth now. That's how Jesus works now. That's how he does it. That's how the words, works and wonders of his kingdom are brought to this sin-sick world. His body on earth does it for him, with him. It's not for him, through him. He works through them. He is the head, we're the body. And we are here to fulfill that mission, to bring salvation to every nation and tribe and tongue, to bring the words, works and wonders of the kingdom. And it's an amazing privilege. It's awesome that you are part of the corporate Christ, that I'm part of the corporate Christ. This is amazing. And we've got to keep on this for a few minutes because it's where our unity has to be understood. It's where our, our lives have to be understood. You're no longer your own. You're part of the corporate Christ. You belong to Jesus. And it's a wonderful privilege. Let's remind ourselves, church, as a word, has been hugely confused and distorted for 2,000 years of history. Being a member of Jesus' church has nothing to do with the country you are born in, your country of origin. It has nothing to do with your upbringing or even with what your parents believed or tried to teach you. It has nothing to do with certain religious rituals or rules. Being part of the church has nothing to do with technically belonging, officially belonging through membership or some way, with an institution called a church. Being the church is nothing to do with going to a particular building called a church. And when I say nothing to do, I mean that. I mean you can do all of those things and not be in the church. You can't really join the church of Jesus Christ. You are born into it. You're born into it by the Holy Spirit. 
That's verse we've just read, verse 13. You are born into it by the Holy Spirit. You are born from above. It is a supernatural event in your life. No one can do it for you. No signing of pieces of paper or rituals gone through will do it. Rituals may have their probably love baptism, but that's not what makes you a Christian. That's not what makes you part of the church. It happens like it did for the Corinthians, when you turn from your old way of life, whatever it is, whatever level of, uh, of difficulties you were in, we're all somewhere in a mess. When you turn from that and put your faith in Jesus as your saviour, genuinely put your faith in him and just ask him into your life and say, Lord, be my Lord. Please wash me clean. I want to belong to you. And the Holy Spirit comes into you. You are born again from the inside out and you are brought into the church. You're birthed into it. Now you are in him and he's in you. It's wonderful. You're in Christ and Christ is in you. The church of Jesus Christ is a living organism. It's a living organism. It always has been and it always will be. That is what the real church is. It is a living body made up of living members. Now in my body, there is a big difference between the members, like my hands and my legs, and things that are non-members, like my watch and my shirt and my trousers. There is a huge difference. I'm thankful to say that as I stand here before you, both are part of John Groves. It's a good job I've got trousers on. I'm quite pleased to have a watch on. And you might be quite pleased I've got a watch on, though whether I look at it, whether I look at it is another matter. But, but there is a bit, so quite a lot of the time, the two go round together just as well. But there is a world of difference between the things attached to my body and my body. And it's the same with the church. The body of Christ, if you're a member of the church, if you're one with him, you have a living link with him. And we're going to even talk briefly about some of the wonderful consequences of that as we go through. You've got a living link with him. You are inseparable from him. I take my watch off. I do take my trousers off. I, you know, they are just attached for a season. Can I say to you soberly and seriously, Make sure you're part of the body, not just attached to the body. Now, we might give opportunity end for anybody to, I think I will, to, to, you can be part of the body, but it's not just being linked to it like a watch to a hand. It's not just being linked in. Go, oh, I come along, I love it, I attend and I enjoy, I enjoy the music, I love the friendship, the coffee's not bad. No, no, are you born again? Are you the body or are you just like my watch (laughs) attached for a season and maybe drop off for a while and never come back no 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 the body can't do that I don't want my hand to drop off for a while and never come back I really don't it's very very different now I've got to watch the time which is why I'm not going to look at my watch but but I think this book of Corinthians is full of profound stuff about this truth that I'm talking to you about which I do feel God has weighed on my heart in a healthy way for this morning. So a couple of verses you will have already looked at. And actually they are what we call task theology. In other words, there's theology in them, but Paul's really just doing a job. He's challenging some poor behavior, very poor sexual immorality amongst some of the Corinthian Christians. 
But look at these verses, and let's look at a few phrases in them. Here's verses 15 and 17. They should go up. He writes in verse, chapter 6, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? I guess, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Then he goes on, shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And then this bit from 19 and 20, same chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You're bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Your bodies are members of Christ himself. I mean, you couldn't make it up. It's awesome. Let it sink in. It's the truth. As you sit here, as I stand here this morning... I am a member of Christ himself. You are, if you've put faith in Jesus and follow him. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful, isn't it? I stand here and say, well, does it only happen on Sunday morning? No, it happens 24-7. Your body is a member. That's why he's challenging me. It happens, listen to me, it happens 24-7. So that's why he's saying, when you visit a prostitute, you're tainting Christ. It doesn't just happen when you're being holy and looking smart and praying and singing nice songs. You are 24-7 part of the corporate Christ. That is amazing. That is humbling. It's almost, well, it's frightening. And I tell you this, if you are born again of the Spirit, this is an amazing privilege. You belong to the most privileged group of people on the planet without doubt. It's not even a close contest. You belong to the most, you are part of the corporate Christ. And you carry Jesus with you wherever you are. And he goes with you and he's in you and is wanting to work through you wherever you are. And I'll tell you another thing, it's unavoidable. You cannot be a real Christian and not be part of the body of Christ. You say, I'd rather avoid that. Well, then you'll have to go outside of Christ. You'd have to not be part of Christ. It doesn't work that way. You have to, if you were born again, you haven't got any choice. You are part of the body of Christ. I expect these sinning Corinthians were quite embarrassed by this. But the fact of the matter is, this is one of the consequences. What you do reflects on Jesus Christ. And it should challenge us about our sin. It should challenge us about our behavior. You're going to take Christ into that? Would Jesus talk like that and behave like that? I find it challenging, brothers and sisters. All my life I've found it challenging since I've got this. You take Jesus in. There is a sober aspect to this. I tell you what, there is an amazing aspect. Get it by faith. Wherever you are, Jesus is there. Honestly, when you're scared, when you're in the dark, when you're frightened, when you feel vulnerable, remember your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in me. This is part of Jesus turning up. You touch me, you touch Jesus. When the, when the Apostle Paul, and he wasn't that, when he was Saul and he was persecuting the church and he was throwing some of them in prison, Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus and he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
think, well, well, that's a funny, in a way, a funny thing to say, isn't it? You know, he was actually persecuting people like you and me. Jesus said, you're touching me. That's what happened. If you, if you hurt part of my body, you hurt me. If you came up and twisted my arm or broke it, I wouldn't say, oh, that's all right, it's only my arm. I, I know what's happening to my body. I care about it. I protect it. Jesus knows what happens to you. He cares about you. He feels it. I mean, I might not feel it if I tore my shirt. I go out for walks. I can walk through brambles and tear my coat or my trousers. And sometimes I don't notice, especially if there's a lot of brambles. And you think, oh, blow, I've ripped that. But I mean, I tell you, I can notice if it tears through my flesh, don't you? I mean, just doing the roses or something. Ouch, a thorn. I mean, there's a world of difference between my body and what's attached to my body. You're part of the body of Christ. He's with you all times. Now, we must say, and we won't have too long for this, but it, I hope you're getting it. You might, we must say there's a profound truth here that's very relevant to, to chapter 12 that we're reading. If I'm part of the body of Christ with a living link with Jesus, and you're part of the body of Christ with a living link with Jesus, then we have a living link together. My hand and my foot have got very, they're very different in many ways, but they have got a very uh, united purpose. They're part of this body, the John Groves. And they actually can't be independent of each other because they've got to together serve the main body. It's profound stuff, but I hope you'll see, once you understand it's truth and not just a nice picture, you're actually seeing something which is profound about us and our relationships together. So, for example, in Romans 12, verse 5, this should go up, when he's talking about the body, Paul says this, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Ah, individually members of one another. There, is, there always has been true unity, spiritual unity, between all who follow Jesus Christ sincerely and are born again and new creations because it's unavoidable. Now you say, well, it doesn't always... No, it doesn't always evidence itself. And that was even a problem at Corinth. So that's one thing. And we must talk about that for a few minutes. But there is also another complication. Quite often, things that call themselves churches, all of them, are unfortunately not all body. There's attachments and body. And it gets confusing. <laughs> we're not going to over-explore that. But we're going to stick with the positive, which is that if you are one, if you are in Christ, you are one with all others who are in Christ. And that's where we need to start if we're going to understand this and apply it. And so in a practical, real way, we need to work this out here in our local body because that's where this particular passage was rooted. So it's nice to remember, and it's true, that I'm one with those who follow Jesus in Africa and Asia and America and anywhere. I am. Those who follow Jesus. If you meet real Christians, you're one with them straight away. But Paul is asking, or writing, he's not asking, he's challenging them to work this truth out in their own situation in Corinth, or if you like, here with us. And so there are very quickly, this is, this is not that I've just finished my introduction, you'll be pleased to hear, but very quickly I want to highlight four ways he talks about this and works it out. So he talks about diversity and unity. And this is a repeated theme throughout this chapter. 
The idea that there's huge differences between the different parts of the body and the different gifts, but there is a, a fundamental unity. And it actually is a very important principle with God. God himself is a diversity and unity together. He, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when you look at creation, which tells us something about God, we all know that there is a, a sort of interdependence. We're very aware of it these days, the ecosystems and things. There's, di- there's unity within diversity. And there's something about that at God. So for a healthy church, we need to recognize diversity. We are not all the same. At any level, we're not. Whether it's interest, character, technology. Te- te- technology? Where did that come from? Um, <laughs> I don't even know what word I was going to try and use, but don't forget it. Uh, we're, we're not, we're not interests. We're, you know, but gifts, whatever. We're not. There's huge variety, and actually, it's an unhealthy church where there is uniformity. Many cults, major in a way that makes uniformity. That's not healthy. Diversity is important. But unity is equally important. That makes a healthy church. And one of the problems here was some division, quite significant division in Corinth. So division is unhealthy church. And when Paul's writing about the gifts, which I'm not majoring on at all this morning, but the ones at the beginning, he emphasizes this diversity and unity. I hope you notice the phrases, but I'll just remind you of them. He talks about different gifts, different ministries, different activities. Now, people have debated for years what that means, but your gut feeling when you read it is he's saying not only different gifts, like prophet and evangelist and teacher and whatever else helps administration. He's, he's talking about different levels, if you like, at which those gifts operate, different settings maybe. So there's one sort of prophet, another sort of prophet, another, another sort of prophet, and different activities, different ways they work out. Some prophets might be into poetry or painting. Others are into reading the Bible and using that or telling dreams and pictures, and that can be true of all the gifts. So you've got the diversity of the gifts, and you've got the different ministries and different activities. But it's one and the same Spirit distributing to each person as he wills. That's what verse 11 says. So the Holy Spirit has decided that's how it's going to be. And as I say, you remind yourself of creation to remember God is not into, you know, two sorts of flowers. What do you want, a red one or a blue one? That is not how God is. How many spiders do you want? There's over 10,000 varieties of spiders. I think there's probably more. You know, but there's a unity in our, what makes a spider. We can define a spider. But then there's huge varieties within spiders. <laughs> you get it? That's, that's the church. You can, prophets, prophets. But there's huge variety even within that and within all sorts of other aspects. So there's unity and diversity. Secondly, we need one another. Now, that comes out a lot in this chapter, and it's quite amusing if you have time to linger on it, because I think it's genuinely light-hearted up to a point, or with a smile on his face, Paul is referring to the body. He's saying, parts of the body can't say to the other parts, I don't belong to the body. Because you're not like me, we don't belong together. All I want to be with is ears. That's all I want. I want a group of ears. Fat lot of good that would be, isn't it? A pile of ears. Where are you gonna, what else are you going to do then? I mean, that's the issue. It's cartoonish. And you can't do it. You can't say, because I'm not like them, I don't belong to this body. And we're now talking about this body. Because that's what, where the context, remember? So you, you don't say, well, they're not like me. So I want to 
church that's only like me. I want to belong to a pile of ears. Well, you're stupid because that's not a body. That's just stupid. And it is stupid. And then he says, uh, well, it is. I only want to be with those like me. And then there's this other dangerous phrase, I don't need you, which is really in verses about 21, I think. You know, because you're not like me, I don't need you. I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm an eye, I'm, I'm a hand, I don't need you. Now, we can't say that either. Now, that is very, very important. I think some of this is very near the bone for me, let alone anybody else, so I'm taking it personally, but it's near the bone for all of us. There are a lot of attitudes where we say, I don't really belong to this body because I'm not like, they're not like me. It's very easy to be in effect saying that. I only want to be with people like me. I don't need all these people. I don't need them. Ever say anything like that? Maybe, I have. It's unhealthy. It's destructive. You might not use those words. It's a little bit cartoonish, but the principle is there. There is no... Let me tell you this. There, listen carefully. There is no such thing as a healthy, isolated, unattached Christian. Barring something very extreme, where you might be isolated in a desert, and I'm not mocking, I mean those things do happen, put in a solitary confinement cell, then you will not suffer that. God will be with you. But if it is your choice in some way to say, I am isolated, unattached, I don't need others, or the church, you are not healthy. So how dare you say, I just know you're not. What's your hand like if it hasn't got the rest of the body? Healthy? If my hand is, I mean, I can keep it in a fridge and stop it rotting, big deal. But, I mean, it's not really healthy, is it? I've, still, I've got it in the freezer so it hasn't rotted. Well, well done. I think it's meant to do more than not rot. And a Christian unattached to a body is in a dangerous position. I believe Jesus expected us to be part of a local body. I, I, I can't go into it, but I think in Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20, when he gives instructions to his disciples about how to resolve a dispute, actually, between individuals. That's what it's about. It's very down to earth. He seems to assume they're in a context of a local community where that can be addressed. If God has brought you to this body... Or maybe birthed you into it by, this is where you came to know Jesus as your saviour. Then don't talk and act as if you don't belong to it. You belong to it. Now you can behave, misbehave, that's what they were doing in Corinth. But that's not the way for it to work. That isn't healthy for you and it isn't healthy for the body. And it's not even how you feel. You do belong. It's not decided by your feeling. I've said that about the major truth, and it's true all the way through. It, you know, we do. We're part of the body. And, when, and what happens is God leads you to a local body uh, for whatever reasons. But once you feel that you moved or you come in or you're born again here or something happens, and, and you think, no, this is where I want. Well, then, until God releases you, and that does happen. We're trying to be practical. But until, then you're part of it. And it works much better if you go with that and understand it. I mean, I do understand the problems here. Our culture is so individualistic, it is ridiculous. In fact, I believe it's bordering on idolatry. 
Our culture, I mean, your self-identity obsession, that's idolatry. All about me and my, and my uniqueness and who I am, it is, it's, almost, it, it's almost wicked, to be honest, the degree to which that is emphasised in our culture. And, and, and it makes us so uh, weird, really, about ourselves and I only meet the little group that totally fit with me. And we have to be very careful, Christians, because this is not the culture of the kingdom. We are countercultural. This truth challenges our individualism, our hyper-individualism, challenges our control, our insecurity, our desire to uh, be self-sufficient and self-contained, our, our greediness, our narcissism, if I can say the word. It challenges all these things. And I can struggle with it, because I, I live and swim in this culture like you do. And you think it's okay to just be so individualistic and make your own choices about everything. And you don't like it where some other Christian is different or disagrees with you or challenges you or even tries to correct you. You want your control. You want your independence. You want to choose everything for yourself. I am the commander of my own life. Well, yes, up to a point, but you're actually part of the body of Christ. And actually, you won't get holy on your own. You see, sanctification is a corporate process. (laughs) We need all the checks and balances and discomforts of the church that we might grow to be like Jesus. I do wish everybody was like me. I honestly wish that. I mean, I'm not even joking. I do. I think if everybody was like me, this would be so much better country. Honestly, don't you believe that? Well, give or take a few little minor foibles. That's how we're all inclined to think that. We need to work this through because our culture challenge. You see, the challenge is we have sins that need sorting out. And because we've got this hyper-individualism, we think, well, that's just part of who I am. That's me. I just happen to have a bad temper. I just happen to like weird and wonky things, you know, and do... I have to be careful with the examples. Um, No, some of that is sin. And some of it is lust and anger and greed and laziness and pride and selfishness. And uh, God wants to sort that out, actually. And that happens corporately. Jesus will do it and it'll help you and it'll lead you, but you will find it will happen more thoroughly when you're in the body. And on our own, it is almost impossible to tell the difference between sin and your foibles. Honestly. What I see in you, I see as sin. What I see in me is just a little character foible. That's just how I am. (laughs) I think you're really wrong. I don't like that, but that's just how I am. I mean, you need the body to sort that out, and it does get sorted out. We need a corporate process going on. And then there are biblical principles we've all got to agree to. So this this is only needs saying because of our incredibly distorted culture, what I'm about to say. We also need to be careful. So we think it's okay to say, well, you know, everybody else uh, is encouraged to attend all the time and go to Sundays. I only go once a month. That's just how I am. That's enough. I can only cope with once a month. I prefer to play golf on three Sundays a month. It's better for me physically, so I do it on a Sunday. And once a month I go to church. I don't think that's just how you are. Let me put it gently. That needs some work on it. But there are other ones that might be more... Well, you know, it's great that so many people in the church are friendly and agreeable. They're all rather nice. 
But I'm strong-minded, opinionated, aggressive. I've had a fiery temper since I was a child. That's just how I am. Hmm, that might need some work on it as well, mightn't it? We can get nearer to the bone than that. I'm glad people who enjoy and have good, happy Christian marriages, but I, think it, I personally think it's better to sleep with your girlfriend uh, and see if you get on well. In fact, my parents encouraged me to do that, so that's just how I live, because that's the way they encouraged me to do That needs some work on it too, doesn't it? There are principles, there's truth that we have to acknowledge altogether. We have to obey Jesus, the head. We could go on and you can imagine. Fine, you enjoy your heterosexual marriage. I prefer a same-sex marriage. It's just how I am. That also needs some work on it. The whole thing, it's not just one of them, the whole thing... It's not just, we're, this is a version of modern British culture. Oh, we're all able to be exactly what we are. We are all united in Christ. We're being shaped by him. We are being made into his image. We are going to be like Jesus one day completely, but we're already being made from one degree of glory to another. So there's going to be a lot of work done in the body. Amen? I know you went a bit quieter there, but it's true. And it applies to all of us, all of us. So we're united in those principles, but we want to go forward. Finally, quickly, we are to care for one another. It says there should be no division in the body. The members have concern for one another. Let's, let's, let's just say something which I think I've, I've found over the years in churches. And I've had to learn this. It's so simple. Most of the people in church are trying to do the right thing. <laughs> so, yeah, well, yeah. Most people are wanting to follow Jesus. Most people recognise that there's some stuff they need changing and the vast majority want to get on with it and be more like Jesus. So there's no need to judge each other harshly. There's no need to be rude and dismissive and critical. We can challenge things in each other, but most of us, it's very easy in our country, you just walk away. Most of us aren't here to be awkward and difficult and grumpy. I make a plea for myself. It does happen, but most of us want the church to succeed, want it to be good, want Jesus to be honoured and glorified. And when one member suffers in whatever way, let's be sympathetic, let's all suffer. When one member's hurting, now you can think of it in obvious ways, of course, needs and think that's right sicknesses but there are other ways when people are going for a tough time or in, in a funny place let's be with them and for them rather than assume immediately they're bad in some way and it says when one member is honored we all rejoice let's do that let's do that and it's in our interest that the whole body is healthy and well so as we conclude let's remember we are healthy growing christians when we properly relate to a local body of Christ. We have a unique part to play in the body where we are. Each part has a part to play. We all need each other. And very importantly in this passage, which I haven't had time to unpick this truth, the less public and less attractive parts are often more important than the obvious. Like my liver and my kidney are more important in funny ways than one ear or a hand. I could survive without a hand, inconvenient of course, but not without a liver. And actually, that's true of church. I mean, this church, 
Greg Haslam, John Groves, Steve Chick, all very important mouths, or whatever we are, noses up there, obvious, on the face. But there are other people who are vital to this church who've probably been in this body all through those three phases. And, and your livers and your kidneys, and you're more important, actually. And so there is a fundamental fact here we have to watch. And if God's got you here now, then this is your body, the local body, and he wants you to get involved because the goal of the whole thing is not just about you finding a a good place to be, which is quite important, but it's not the main goal. The goal is that we work effectively as the corporate Christ here, that we bring the anointing Jesus put on us, and it's his anointing on us that we do the works he did. His works, his wonders, his words become our works, wonders and words. We are, as a corporate Christ, doing what he did. Praying for the sick, seeing miracles, declaring the gospel, showing compassion and love, bringing hope and wisdom and truth. That's what we're called to do. To be the corporate Jesus Christ here in Winchester in the area. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Let's stand together. I want to pray for you. And we'll have the musicians up, because I'm not quite sure what the next five minutes... (laughs) I feel that God's put a few things on my heart, but um, let's stand together. Lord, Heavenly Father... I thank you for Hope Church Winchester. I thank you for this lovely, wonderful body of Christ that you've joined me to. I thank you, Lord, for the dear friends and those who I don't know so well who are a vital part of this body. I thank you, Lord, that you're weaving us together in your mysterious way through your Holy Spirit. And we're here at this time for this season for this purpose. And Lord, maybe one day you'll move us to another local body. We'll never come out of your universal body, but you may move us to a local one. Lord, that's good. We'll follow you when you show us. But Lord, while we're here, we pray that we will all play a full part in this local body that you've called us to. Help us, Lord, to live this truth. And I felt a few phrases that I, these aren't original, um, that I read them over different books over, over the last few weeks and I just felt some of them are almost like words of wisdom maybe for some people relevant to this here's one phrase competition is the enemy of community just hear that competition is the enemy of community here's another phrase profile does not equal significance hear that profile does not equal significance and this is another one slightly different but irrelevant I think the reality is happiness is an inside job let's let that sink in basically your happiness is not really dependent on other people happiness is an inside job and I want God to sink these things into you as I finish But I I do feel I need to say, if you're here this morning and you're not yet 
part of the body of Christ because you've not yet been born again of the Spirit and haven't really come to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you can do that this morning. And I'm going to read a simple prayer. If you mean it and pray it and mean it, I'd like you to talk to someone afterwards and say, I prayed that when John read, read it through. You can use your own words. It's just showing you the basic shape of how you could ask Jesus into your life this morning. And then you also would be part forever of the body of Christ. It might work out here, but you may be a visitor from somewhere and you need to find a local body there to work it out. But that, that, that will be between you and the Lord. He'll show you that. So this is the prayer. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit, Lord, that I've lived my life without you and I've messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and to your direction from now on. I receive you, Lord Jesus, into my life. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. If you do that and mean it, and you might want to go over it again just while we're singing our last song, please tell someone. Just tell someone. I really meant that because that'll help you just to, to sort of settle it. The confession of your faith seals your faith. It's part of the process, really, to confess it. It's not a purely secret thing. The Christianity is not a hyper-individualistic religion. It's not a secret thing. You've heard that all morning. Okay, can we finish with a song? Just close down with that.